Uh, other than that, you should be in Acts 20. I'm going to read, beginning in verse 13. I believe the scriptures will be put up behind me. And then I'm going to pray. And there'll probably be a couple people showing up in the next 25 minutes that think it's 10 o'clock, you know what I mean? <laughs> Whoa, what's going on? Let's read verse 13. It says, Then we went ahead to the ship, and we sailed to Asos, where we intended to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. He wanted to walk. And when he, after walking 25 miles, met us at Asos, we took him on board, and we came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios, and the following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tregillium. That's from the Lord of the Rings series, by the way. <laughs> kidding, kidding. It's funny stuff. The next day we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. And for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So from Miletus, verse 17, he sent to Ephesus and he called for the elders of the church. Let's pray. Lord, as we study this, this journey of Paul as he travels around Asia, modern day Turkey, and as we see his heart, Lord, for the churches and for the elders and the pastors and the teachers and the people, and as we see, Lord, his dedication, and as we look into your word, I pray that you would examine our hearts and we would find ourselves being discipled as well, being trained, Lord, in these matters. Lord, I thank you for my friends and my family who are here today. I pray you'd minister to them each where they're at, some visiting, some for the first time, some not knowing who the Apostle Paul even is. And so, Lord, we trust you. We trust you to minister to us in the way you see fit. And we give you this time in your word, by your power, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me ask you guys a few questions before we get into the teaching. If you were meeting with a group of friends, and let's even say family, your friends and family, and you knew that it was the last time you would ever see them, you would never see them again, you're going on a journey, and you know that you'll never, ever see these people you love like the Apostle Paul, he'd been there for three years with these people. And you're with them, and, and they're there to see you off. You're the one leaving, never to return. And you also know that it's not just your farewell, see you later, uh, find me on Facebook, but it's I'm leaving, but I'm also probably going to die. Like, I'll never see you guys again, and I'm probably not going to see the whole world again. If you want to know Paul's very last words that we know of, they're in 2 Timothy. That's the very last writing that Paul would pen before they cut his head off. And you can see this man's words in his heart. But let me ask you that question. Let's say, they all, let's say a bunch of people gathered around to say bye to you. What would you say to them? Right now in, in your state and in your life and in your history and in your past, what you've experienced, what you're going after, and what's coming up, would it... Would it what would it be? Some of you are thinking, you know, I'd look at him and say, party on, dude. <laughs> Some of you thought that, you know. If not, you all just did right now. What well, would it be debt? Would it be deep? Would it have some, some handles on it? Something to invest into their lives? It's a good question to ask yourself. 
Some of you are young high schoolers, just out of high school, college age people, and you're thinking, yeah, I don't know, not much. I mean, you, you don't have much to say necessarily. Think it through, though. Would you have something to hand these people? A baton, if you would. Because you're running a race. And I've done my race well. Here's the baton. Don't drop it. Remember the Olympics a couple years ago when our men were running the uh, baton, the relay race, and we're running, we're expected to get the gold medal, and they dropped the baton. And you're done. The whole team's done. Everybody's done. It's one of those heartbreaks. You're like, oh, we didn't just lose. We just got disqualified. What would you say? What would you impart upon your kids, upon your wife, upon your spouse? Would there be tears? There, was, there is in this passage. It'll take us a couple of weeks to get through Acts 20. And there's tears. There's speaking of tears. Now, just think that through. It's kind of a heavy thought. What, you know, what are you going to say on your last day? What do you want on your tombstone? You know? Earlier this week, I was talking with a high schooler. And this gal said, you talk about death a lot. You, don't talk, you shouldn't talk about death so much. And she was kidding. And I said, well, 10 out of 10 people die. You know? <laughs> Seems like it's pretty applicable. <laughs> last time I checked. And it is important to consider how you're living your life now. What would you have to offer? What does your baton consist of? Let me ask another question that is searching as well. How important is the church to you? Not this building, not this service, 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. How, how important is the church to you? This is a searching question. Some of you are right on the very uh, entryway, you're on the threshold to getting involved into God and his family, and you're thinking, yeah, I mean, I don't know, never thought about it. Some of you are very much a part of the church, and you receive from the church, and I don't mean this building or this service or even this leadership, but the church is individuals. I hope you know that. It's not a building, it's not a service, it's not a denomination, it's not a website, it's not a book, it is bodies, it's souls, it's pulses, and it's heartbeats. But listen to me, you have a lot of souls, pulses, heartbeats, and bodies that are not part of the church. This is an important factor to consider. Those are friends, relationships, families, loved ones. There's a difference though, if you are the church, that is Christ lives in you, and he's made you a church, okay? He's made you a called out assembly. You're called out of the world. You now have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You're a temple, all messed up like you are and like I am. And Christ in his grace dwells in us. That's the body. Now, I, I say all that. That's a teaching in and of itself. But how important is the church to you? The members of the body of Christ. If you're like me, the majority of the bodies around you, the people on your Facebook, the people in your phone that you text and call, your favorites, all that, most of them are believers. They're part of the body. It's just the way my life has gone, the way God has taken me out of the world, ecclesia, pulled out of the world, church, and has plugged me into, is that mine, yours? Has plugged me into the body of Christ. Now, I asked that question at the beginning here because we're gonna look into Paul's heart towards the church. Not a service, not a building, okay? Unfortunately, and to a large degree, that's where our culture has kind of pigeonholed church life. And I believe it's necessary, okay? Buildings, it's a necessary, I'm not gonna say evil, but it's a necessary reality, okay? Service times, it's necessary for our culture where we're at. It's how we meet in this 
major setting, not from house to house, but in this public setting, okay? It's part of the deal, but as we look at Paul's heart for individuals, for people, for the men and women that he discipled, I think it's important that you and I also look back even further to another heart that beat rapidly for the church, and that's the heart of Jesus. See, Jesus looks at the church, that is the bodies, the people, the souls, the pulses, He looks at them and he says, you know what I'm gonna call you in order that you would have a word picture of how much I appreciate you? I'm gonna call you my wife. I'm gonna call you my bride. Now he does that so we would have that word picture, so we would have that respect and understanding of how God looks at the churches of Christ. Because if you ever are going to speak wrongly of another man's wife, you'll see the rage of that man. God wants us to know, hey, she's my wife, she's my bride, okay? I'm gonna take care of her, I'm gonna gonna cover her, I'm gonna forgive her, I'm gonna die for her, I'm gonna serve her, and I want you to know that so you can then do the same thing, so you can understand my love and devotion for her. Now, we're gonna see what I would call one of the most rich texts in the next couple weeks of Paul pouring into the church, the body of leaders. Some would call this the, the richest of all pastors' conferences because he's talking to the pastors of Ephesus. I've been to dozens of pastors conferences. I've loved every one of them. I'm on a schedule to go to more this year in order to stay tuned myself, in order to stay refreshed, stay poured into. This is a pastors conference, one of the richest that will ever be produced, Paul to his guys. Before that though, John, if you're taking notes, John 13, 14, 15, and 16, and 17, that's Jesus walking with his dudes, his 11, 12 minus one, Judas had left. And he's walking with these guys from John 13 to John 17, right before he dies, and he pours into them. This leader's meeting, if you would. Now I say all that because my first question was, is what do you have to offer to the people you're about to leave upon your day of death? Anything? Anything profound? Anything? Any words of wisdom? Any encouragement? Marching orders? I think some of that then will come from your understanding and appreciation of the church. And that appreciation of the church comes from knowing that Jesus died for the church, bled for the church, birthed the church, and is coming back for the church. That's important to know that. Do you get that? He's coming back one day, and it's not for this building. He's not impressed with our new remodel. (laughs) He's impressed with our hearts that are surrendered to him and that you're letting him remodel the inside. Okay, this is just just a means. By the way, I'm so happy about this building. I love this building because of all of its quirks. I love those beams right in the middle, right in the way. I love those funky lights. I love all this just stuff because it's just means to an end. Okay, this, is, this is just so that we don't get rained on so we can talk about Jesus and go home. That's the only reason this building exists because Jesus is coming for his bride. And you and I get the opportunity to choose to be a part of the workings of the church. Not here at South Beach. Okay, there's not enough going on here at South Beach Church but there is plenty going on in the chairs and those who sit in those chairs. Lots of things going on. There are cars in the parking lot right now that are gonna go all different directions when we're done here with people in them that Jesus died for, that he loves, that the Holy Spirit lives in. And you guys get the opportunity to take part in one another's stuff, in each other's victories. Isn't that exciting? Someone does real well. The Bible says when somebody does great, to rejoice with them. Yeah, cool. And when someone nosedives, Mourn with them, okay? Be bummed out with them, it's okay. It's okay, we're in this together. If you have a physical body like me, from time to time you get sick, you get colds, 
you get illnesses, you get injuries. Same with true with the body of Christ, okay? We're, we're a work in progress to be enjoyed and to be explored. I hope you're just excited about the church. I'm so stoked for these community groups, these connect groups. We'll talk about it on Wednesday, April 3rd, and we'll talk about it maybe even prior to that. But for the church body here in, in Lincoln County to get connected, to get really connected, to have people know you and see you on a different level than here. Everyone give me your best church smile. Hey, hey. Yeah. Okay, at these home groups, you're gonna have the opportunity to take your smile off and say, you know what, I'm actually, don't, I don't feel like smiling right now. It's not Sunday morning, so I can do it. And actually kind of feel like crying, is that okay? And the host will pull out some Kleenex. There it is. You can cry with them and they'll cry with you if, if that's where you're at and they'll love you in that way and you'll find yourself growing. This is the way, and this is so important. As a matter of fact, it's happening in so many different churches nationwide. It almost seems like a trendy fad, a trendy fad to start home groups and community groups because everyone's doing it. They're all doing it because I believe the Lord is strengthening his bride and preparing his bride for his soon return so people can get serious about the mission of just being saved and what that looks like and how to live with one another. Because I said this last week, you're gonna be with all of us in eternity forever. <laughs> the only difference is it's gonna be way cooler. <laughs> That's the only difference. We're gonna be together. And God wants us to come together and to love one another. Let me read to you something about Paul's heart out of one of his own excerpts as he writes to 1 Corinthians. We've been studying the Apostle Paul. Again, if you're visiting, we're in the book of Acts, chapter 20, studying the third missionary journey of Paul. He's been in Ephesus for three years telling people about Jesus. Just a couple weeks earlier, the government came down on him and the people around him, the non-believers, and said, we want you out of here. And so Paul's saying, okay, it's time to go. I've got things to do anyways. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church, though. You need to grasp this. He talks about his suffering. Okay, anybody know that Paul suffered? Paul was shipwrecked, he was abandoned, he was beaten, he was robbed, he was, I'll just read what he says actually. He says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. Now listen, in labors, more abundant. In stripes, that is getting beaten, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In death, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, minus one, that's so they don't kill you. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned to death, by the way. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils, in waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in, is what's perils mean? <laughs> in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, listen, in weariness and toil, sleeplessness, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings, in cold and in nakedness. Anybody wanna sign up for that? You know, sounds fun. What, can I be your buddy, Paul? Sounds like you're having a great time, you know? Listen though, next verse. He just listed all the sufferings that he's going through in order to make sure Jesus Christ is proclaimed. Verse 28, besides the other things that comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Now if you stop and read that a couple times, Paul lists this huge list of things that he's just getting beat up from all over and he says, you know what though? You know what really 
you know what really is hard for me? I love the church so much. My burden for the churches. He's getting beaten, stoned, in the ocean by himself. He, doesn't, he lists that just to encourage them to say, hey, you ain't bleeding yet. Your situation got you down? Yeah, I've been there. Grow up, go to church, get plugged in. That's what he's saying. But then he goes, those things, that's not even really what I want you to be about is being all rugged, tough, and like Paul, listen, thick-skinned and soft-hearted. A lot of Christians get thin-skinned and hard-hearted, get wounded so easily, push people back. They, they hurt you. You get all hardened in your heart, and you can't take the perils of church life. Anybody been, don't raise your hand, all hands are going up, hallelujah. Anybody been hurt in church before? You know, somebody hurts you, either from afar, from a close, somebody fail in front of you, somebody just misunderstand you, let you down, of course. If that hasn't happened yet, just come to coffee with me and I'll be the first to do it, you know? <laughs> Serious, I'll let you down. And Paul says, yeah, it's, it's the pain, it's, it's getting let down, None of, that stuff's not even the deal. The deal is that I want the church to be successful. That's what weighed on him so much. That ought to, for some of you, really mess with you in a good way. I asked you the question earlier, how important is the church to you? Based on your lifestyle will be your answer. If the church is very important to you, it'll be indicated through your lifestyle. That is the way you attend church briefly, that's one aspect. By the way you have church at your home, discipling your kids, discipling your spouse, by the way you view your neighbors, by the way you view your workplace. If church is very, very important to you, then church, ecclesia, called out, God living in you, will be happening all the time everywhere you go. You're not perfect, nor am I. You have real issues, so do I. But you're gonna be one who's kind of preoccupied with the things of God, the soon return of the groom, Jesus, the well-being of those around you. And you're, you're maybe immature in this area. Okay, maybe you're like, oh yeah, I don't think about church very often. I'm a believer, but I don't think about church very often. Hey, that's okay, you're growing. Let me just give you four brief. These, these could be broke down in many different ways, but these are four brief phases within a Christian. The first one is to be a believer, okay, scripturally. Believers were added to the house daily, were added to the church, thousands, believers. They heard the good news that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, their sins could be saved, <clears throat> forgiven, they're gonna go to heaven. They said, yeah, I believe that, and they're saved, regenerated. Now, a believer's main role is to believe and to be a witness in the world, an ambassador for Christ, one who just takes a stand simply and says, oh yeah, I believe, I'm a believer. What does that look like? Once you go past being a believer, and that's where it starts, the next word that I would use, and some would argue, but I would use, is a disciple. You move from being a believer who's saved by grace, praise the Lord, you're going to heaven, that's not gonna change, he's too powerful, his grace is too deep, it's too amazing, you need to know that, nothing can change it, once he saves you, it's done, that's what I believe, that's what the Bible teaches pretty plainly. If you are saved, the Holy Spirit did that to you, you didn't do it to yourself. So you can't undo what you didn't do. It's pretty simple, okay? You're saved. Now you can stay a believer who's just an ambassador, just kind of living your life and 
I've actually been in the presence of believers. You wouldn't know they were believers by their lifestyle. But then when it comes down to it, their confession is, oh yeah, I'm a believer. You're like, believe in what? <laughs> How's that look for you? And that's again, that's immaturity. I've been there before. People look at me like, you're a believer? Are you kidding me? The way you're living when I was walking away from the Lord. When you're going to move from being a believer to a disciple, I believe it just means that you live a life that is disciplined. Okay? There's just some, and that's such a buzzkill word, you know, like discipline. Like if my kids hear that word discipline, they're like, what? You know, just, it's not the coolest word in our house. And to be a disciple means that you're disciplined. It means you're a believer, yeah, but you've realized that there are boundaries. There are directions you need to go and that you ought not to go. And you've realized that and you've accepted that. And you said, okay, I'm going to be a disciplined believer. The clearest way to illustrate that, I think, is I'm going to be a believer that has a plan, okay? To be disciplined just means to be a plan, to have a plan, to have something in action, a plan to do things and to not do things. That's all it means. If you want to get in shape, that's a great want, isn't it? You know, man, I believe I should be in shape. I believe that, <laughs> okay, well, that's cool. We believe it too, you know, we can see that's what needs to happen. Well, you know what the next step is, is to get a plan. A plan to pursue certain things, abstain from certain things, stay on that plan for the rest of your life and you'll do just fine, okay? It's the same with physical fitness and spiritual fitness. To be a disciple, and you see that word in scriptures, you just have a plan. And you've heard it said before, if you don't stand for something, you're gonna fall for everything, okay? If you don't make a decision now of who you are, that you don't get drunk, that you don't fornicate, that you don't steal, that you don't lie, that you don't murder. If you don't make those decisions, when push comes to shove, if you don't have a plan, you're gonna be forced to make it up on the spot and you'll make some mistakes, okay? I just encourage you, be a believer today. I believe in Jesus, man, that's good news. We'll take that and go a little further and say, that belief needs to actually become something and I'm gonna become a disciple of Christ. I'm gonna have a plan, I'm gonna get it. My plan is, and the whole stay away from things, the whole abstinence of things, that's up to you and the Lord. Okay, I'm not gonna be putting the law on you saying this is okay and this is not, and a little of this is fine, and one of those, and no. Start with pursuing God, okay? Let that be your plan. I'm just gonna hang out with Jesus. I'm gonna get up in the morning tomorrow. I'm gonna get up early at 10 a.m. <laughs> some of you are like, what? <laughs> I'm gonna get up early and I'm gonna read a word out of the Bible. <laughs> I'm gonna read one word, God. You know, the first word in the Bible is God. It's all about him. Start reading the Bible. Get a plan. If you're a disciple here, you better have a plan to do certain things with God, for God. Pursue him. And by the way, I need to say this because it's so cool. Whenever you hear your little voices in your head making fun of you and beating you down and beating you up, or you hear a pastor's voice and it kind of gets convoluted and goes into your ears, him shaming you and telling you, or you read the Bible and you think, dude, this is so heavy. Like, whoa, I can't pick this up. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that the, bur- the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. God's commands, ah, that sounds weird, are not burdensome. Because when you do what God says to do, guess what happens to your life? It gets better. Your life turns on. Your life grows up. Your life becomes more. It's called the abundant life. When you do what God says, now, again, anytime, we're rebellious by nature, just like stiff-necked. You tell me not to look over there, I'm like, where? 
You mean there? I already did. What well, doesn't happen? Why? And I just keep looking. Just why? Why? My kids. I mean, this stiff necked, just pushing. It's what we, we're all born that way. Listen, when God says to do something, it is not because He's a weirdo, a jerk, or because He's the Godfather wanting to control you. He's Father God. He says, no, no. This will actually. This is actually the way to success, to spiritual health to vitality, to joy, to peace, to love, to patience, all these cool things. You need to get that. Just That's a whole side note about God and, and following him and being a disciple. It is the good life. It's the good life. Go watch TV today, I dare you. Well, you shouldn't, but you, you might. If you, if you find yourself watching TV today, all the commercials and all the shows will tell you the good life's in another way. Or go on iTunes and download some of the hottest stuff on the market. Don't do that either. But if you did that, all of the tunes would be saying, pursue this and go after that. And that's where joy is. That's where fulfillment is. And God says, well, actually, I kind of am in charge. And I created everything. And I, I know the rules. And all that's a lie. Follow me. Trust me. Follow me. And you'll be so happy. Now, I am a young man, and I've lived a, a short life, but I've, I've kind of experienced a lot in my young, stupid little life, and I've done a lot of things my way, and I've made a lot of money through wrong things, and I've had cash, cash at my fingertips. I've had all the pleasures at my fingertips. I've indulged in the things that the Bible says, be careful of that. There's a price. That, that's going to leave a scar, and I've done those things. Stiff neck. And the Bible says those things, they're fun for a season. But the end of them is death. Okay. I've gone after what the world says to go after. I've pursued it. I've obtained it. And I've held it to myself. And then it started to eat me up. Because that's what the world does. You think you're on the same team. You think you're working together, but you're not. The Bible, on the other hand, God says, go after these things. Trust me. And you're like, whoa, that was hard. That's countercultural. That's not popular. I don't understand this big book. This big book scares me. And God says, yeah, learn it. Get into it. Trust me. I don't know. It seems like a risk. Trust me. It is worth it. It is a risk that has immediate dividends and eternal rewards. Go from being a believer today to being a disciple to just getting a plan, a plan to accomplish something more than you're going to accomplish by just skating through life hoping that the tide is nice to you, letting the tide take you out and bring you back in. All the flows of the world, hoping I don't get rolled over by a log. You're gonna get steamrolled if you don't have a direction and a plan. Now the Bible then uses a couple other terms. We're gonna study this throughout this next week. This is all introduction to this pastors, elders, teachers, church, meeting, leadership, training, Acts 20, verses 18 and beyond. Once you become a believer and you decide to become a disciple, you can also then go on further and become a deacon. A deacon is found, by the way, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications of a deacon. And a deacon is one who loves the church so much that you're a believer in the world. You're an ambassador. But you're also discipled. You're leaving, living, you're living a life on purpose. You're making decisions behind the scenes and preemptive decisions to seek the Lord, and then you find yourself serving physically, spiritually, relationally the body of Christ, doing things, giving of your time, talent, and treasure. 
Now, being a deacon, it depends on your denomination that you grew up in, is probably confused to a large degree, but to be a deacon, literally, to me, practically, means that you lead the church by serving, okay? I'm gonna say it quickly so you don't get confused. To be an elder of the church means that you serve the church by leading. A deacon serves or leads by serving. Okay, let's stay on deacons for a second here. A deacon means that you're gonna show up to church, a service like this, if we have them, and you're gonna, you're gonna show up early, you're gonna stay late, you're gonna participate on stage if you have a gift in that way, you're gonna make sure the chairs are straight at the beginning, are clean at the end, you're gonna brew coffee in the kitchen over there, you're gonna st- hang out in the kids' wings, make sure the kids are being loved on. I have three kids, okay? They're at home uh, with coughs today, but when they're in there, they're with deacons and deaconesses that love Jesus, are discipled, are believers and are pouring into others. Okay, to become a deacon means you just serve. You serve because you love the body of Christ and because you love the head of Christ, which is Jesus. I love deacons. I love, there are so many deacons in this church who you don't even have to ask them to do stuff. A deacon will have that kind of mindset where they look around and they just see something and like, that's not right. And they'll pick it up and throw it away or that trash is full or that slot is empty, I will serve, I will volunteer, I will whatever, okay? This is the next step, I believe. I would encourage you all to read 1 Timothy chapter three, deacons and deaconesses, that is men and women, and become that, serve. Again, this church is loaded with them all ready, but it becomes then your goal. It becomes your heartbeat, that whatever team you find yourself a part of, whether it's here on a Sunday, and Sundays happen so fast, they also happen so often, There's like 52 of them every year. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. But the church on these community groups are gonna start happening, okay? If you're a deacon by heart, you should be thinking about, wow, that's where where the work's gonna be going on. That's where the work's gonna be going on. I need to sign up for that. I need to ask Luke if he needs help organizing those groups. I need to make sure that that actually happens. My dad did that. My dad and my mom, they're, they're busy, they're, they're living their life and can't necessarily, uh, I'll, let, I'll just put words in his mouth or tell you what I heard him say. He called me and said, I, just, I want these groups to succeed, I want them to happen. So I want you to know that I'm here for you. What do you need in order to make these groups happen? And I, we had a conversation and, and, and out of his own heart, he said, I just know that these groups and these people are so precious and that this is an opportunity for these people to actually find discipleship and to find growth. So he might not even be a part of the group, a group, that's up to him if he has the time in that, but he says that doesn't really matter. Because by the way, him and his wife, my mom, are in community and fellowship and they've got other people they're, they're already in community and connected to, they're doing that organically, biblically. But as a deacon, as an elder, he said, you know what, I just wanna make sure this group works. I'm gonna do everything I can, I'm gonna bend over backwards to make sure this ministry works. That's a believer turned to a disciple, turned to a deacon, okay? Plug into your church, become a deacon. You don't even need anybody to like give you a deacon badge. We don't do that here, you know? <laughs> you know, wouldn't that be good? Deacon, it's just huge, you know, deacon. No, it's, it's, it's from the inside, okay? It's who you are. And again, there's dozens of them. I see them all over the place. You can tell this person is beyond a believer. They are a disciple. Those two need to be in play, but they're a deacon. The next position we see scripturally is elders. We'll talk about that again, probably more next week. And an elder, they serve the church by leading it. Not that they're above set up and all of the stuff tear down and all the physical things, but their job is to be an overseer, 
That's the word episkopos. The word we get in the Bible is bishop. They're also to be pastors, shepherds. That's the Greek word poimen, where we are to be those feeding the sheep, elders. And the word elder, if you're like me, the first time you ever heard that word biblically or in a church setting, you thought older. Sounds the same, doesn't it? Elder is older, right? I remember when I first started going to elder meetings in Ashland, I just kind of sat there and listened and like doodled because I was like, I'm young. What do I even have to be here for? And I didn't get it. I was like, I'll be here because I'm a paid pastor and I'm on the team, but really I don't have much to offer. Elder doesn't necessarily have anything to do with chronology, but it does have everything to do with maturity, okay? An elder is a mature Christian, one who's been a believer, is a disciple, has gone through the testing of a deacon, as it says in the scriptures, for it to become an elder through that testing period, and has now come under the call of God on their life to become an elder. I do believe God calls individuals specifically to become elders. Because again, that word biblically, again, we're like, this is kind of top shelf stuff today a little bit. But that word elder is synonymous with pastor and with bishop in the scriptures. They're all the same, okay? The elder is the man. That's who he is. And it's, it's reserved for men, unlike deacons, which are men and women and all the rest as well. Read your Bible. We'll talk about it later at Starbucks if you want. The man is the bishop. Or I'm sorry. Bishop, elder, pastor. Elder is the man. Bishop is the ministry. Bishop means to be an overseer. One who makes sure things don't get squirrely. To be an elder is a hardcore position. Okay? Watching people in their lives. Watching groups. Making sure the church is doctrinally sound. And then lastly, that word pastor as we all know, literally means shepherd. So an elder's job is to feed the sheep, to teach them the word of God, make sure they're not malnourished or anemic, that they're getting the full counsel of God's word, okay? Now, that's my introduction. <laughs> Welcome to your first daylight saving service at South Beach Church. We should just pray and go home. <laughs> I'm not going to teach too much longer. I want you to grasp this. If anything at all, you leave here today. We'll go through a few verses. Because Paul is about to pour his heart. He's already poured it, by the way. He's been there three years. And when he sits down with these guys, read it later today on your own time, please. Acts 20. Read it today. He sits down with these guys and he says, guys, from the very first day I was with you, From the very first day I've served until the last day, I've not changed. When I got here, I was on fire for Jesus and on fire for you, and I'm on fire for Jesus, and I'm on fire for you right now, I'm never gonna see you again. And Paul was stoking these dudes up. And they cried, they had a good old male cry sesh at the end here. They all weep on each other freely, the Bible says, in Miletus, because they loved Paul. And they knew Paul was hardcore. And then he was gonna go die, and he didn't care. He even says that. He says, I'm bound in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. The things that wait me there, not gonna go well. He said, I don't, I don't give a rip. It's not about me. By the way, the most popular book to ever be penned starts out with the words, first sentence in the very most popular book outside of the Bible. The Bible is the most popular book ever written, printed, or read. Second most popular book, the very first words are, it's not about you. It's not about you. Paul knew that. 
God was able to use Paul in such a way because it wasn't about him. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote the Corinthian church one time and says, some of you are saying you're of Paul. What? Did I save you? Some of you are saying you're of Apollos. What? Some of you say you're of Peter. What? What is wrong with you guys? We're just dudes. You're not of any of us. Okay? You're of the Lord. It's not about me. If you want to be successful in Christianity or in life in general, maybe you should read the most popular book in the world outside of the Bible. Or just memorize that little saying, it's not about you. There's freedom in that. Freedom in that. So Paul's sitting with these guys. And he's going to pour out his heart. And you're going to read it later yourself. But let's just study a few verses. Verse 13 again. It says he went ahead on the ship to sail here. I want you to see, I'm going to just grind down some of these introductory thoughts that I've already put out there. And Paul says, I don't want to get on the boat. I'm going to walk. It's about 30 miles to, to walk, 25 miles. They meet him there on the other side. Okay, now we don't know why he did this. Maybe he was physically fit and didn't want to sit on a sailboat and he wanted to get his exercise in. One of those guys, those weirdos that run and bike and swim, maybe. Maybe he wanted some alone time with the Lord knowing what was going on. He's leaving Ephesus. He's leaving the churches. His burden is for the church more than anything else. He says, I just need to, I need to get close to God. I'm about to go meet with my dudes. I need to get my notes ready. I need to know what's important to tell these guys. And so he walks for 25 miles. By the way, if you find yourself disconnected from the Lord, I would encourage you to on those sunny days, I think there's like three per year here, on those sunny days, go for a walk with God. Just talk with them out loud. People, there's people that would talk out loud in this town anyways. It doesn't matter. You just fit right in. Talk out loud with him and just connect. It's, it's actually pretty profound. I like to read. I, lo- I love just, Ashland was a little different ge- geographical location. It was sunny there a lot. And I would walk and read. I'd read and walk and just talk all through town. It's such a joy. Do that, okay? If you find yourself just spaced out and not connected with the Lord, possibly you just need to get into the rhythm of going for a walk with him and talking with him. That's probably what Paul was doing. Notice verse 16. It said, Paul decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Paul had already wanted to go to Jerusalem for Passover. Passover was the celebration where God passed over the children of Israel and did not take anybody's lives because in each one of those homes in Egypt, a life had already been taken. A life of a what? A lamb. There had already been a death. Okay, there'd been faith exemplified. So the celebration of Passover is now the celebration where God passes over through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the sins of the world, those who believe, those who have faith in that Lamb. He wanted to be in Jerusalem for that, didn't happen. So now he's like, well, can I at least make Pentecost, which is 50 days later? Pentecost is the celebration of when the Spirit was given to the church, when the church was birthed, and he wants to be in Jerusalem for that day. Now, I just say this about Paul, he's flexible. He's tenacious. He's going to get what he wants. He won't take no for an answer, but when it just doesn't work out, he's like, missed Passover? Okay, how about Pentecost? Can we make that at least, you know? Be flexible. Listen, though. It says in verse 16 that they sailed past Ephesus. Here's your map right here. Everyone look. Ephesus is right here. That's where he's been for three years, planting churches and ministering to people. As he's sailing past Ephesus, he's ultimately going to Syria and to Jerusalem. He's never coming here again. 
Wouldn't it make sense for him to go to Ephesus and to see everyone again? Everyone. Three years he's been there planting churches, raising people up, conducting services in public and from house to house. Would that make sense? Okay, it it would. It's a trick question. You're like, I don't know, Luke. (laughs) I think you're going to yell at us. (laughs) It would make sense. It would make sense if he had all the time in the world. Listen, it would be kind of like me saying, you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to go to Starbucks and I want to see you all. Okay, meet me there and I'll have a cup of coffee with each one of you. Okay, individually, triple Americano, extra room for cream, that's what I do. And each one of you, I'm just gonna pound that cup of coffee and chat with you. And then next, and then each person comes over. How's that gonna go for me? Not well. Starbucks will be like, cha-ching, you know, let's do this. It's not a good idea. Paul said there's not enough time. It's not effective as much as I love them. I don't have the time to be everyone's best friend, Paul would say. I don't have the time to say hi to everyone. What I'm going to do with my time, Paul says, is more effective. Instead of seeing every single person in Ephesus, I'm going to call for the elders. And I'm going to have them, I'm going to ask them to walk 35 miles down to Miletus, and we're going to have an elders meeting. Because as, listen, those of you who are leaders, you should be really foaming at the mouth right now. As leaders, they're going to need more instruction And I'm going to pour into them because if I can stoke and equip these leaders, we don't even know how many there were, they're going to go back up to Ephesus and they're going to do a more effective job than I could ever do sailing through Ephesus saying, hope you guys do good. Let me pray for you. He says, no, I'm going to set up this leadership team because there's so many people that need to be ministered to. Now, I say that in this context here because South Beach Church is growing and that's awesome. And that believers that are here, are awesome. I need you guys to be disciples. If you're a believer, I need you to step up, be a disciple, get a plan. And if you're a disciple already, you kind of, you don't do things, you've made those decisions and you do things, I need you to become a deacon. I need you to start serving. Not just at this church, but the body. I need you to look at people and love them and minister to them. And in order that I don't have too much coffee, I need you to call them and say, hey, meet me at Starbucks. Meet me wherever, and I will love you, and you can have a chance to love me. Good luck. And we'll love each other in the name of Christ. And I need you guys to, with me, say, yeah, let's do this. Let's just take this whole thing seriously. Did Jesus take it seriously? Yeah. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Did Paul take it seriously? It was more serious than all that he encountered physically. The beatings, all of that. He said, no, it's the church the health of the church. And the church is, again, not this building or this service. It is people, individuals, loving people. These connect groups, these community groups that we're going to launch, my prayer and the training that we're going to go through and the reminders we'll receive is that these groups are opportunities and are designed for specifically people to become healthy in their believing of Jesus, their discipline of their own life, and in their working it out from house to house, that you would just grow with one another. I said it a couple Sundays ago. Real growth, real transformation, real accountability is almost impossible outside of connection with people. You just can't do it. You might fail and get up and say, okay, I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna do better tomorrow by myself. I'm not gonna tell anybody about my problems. It doesn't really work that way. Two are better than one, okay? And a threefold cord is not easily broken. Paul says, I can't go to Ephesus. It's not going to do me any good. I don't have enough energy to pour into every single body. And it's not going to do my elders any good. 
because they need to explore their gifts. They need to be doing stuff. Did you know that if I came to church here, just as a stupid example, if I came to church here and said, I'm gonna do everything. Okay, Paul, thanks for, for trying to help out with worship. I'm gonna do that now because I don't want you to get burned out. And you know, I, I'm on paid staff and you're volunteering. and I'll, I'll do worship, okay? And I get the guitar and I break strings and everyone's looking at me like, what is he doing? And while I'm doing that, I'm going to fill communion trays during the break and I'm gonna brew coffee and then I'm gonna go tell the kids Jesus loves them real quick during the 10 minute break and all the rest. And then I'm gonna do the construction project and hang the speakers this week and just do everything. And by the way, I have a, I have a proclivity to get involved in just about everything. So pray for me in that, that I don't burn out and drink too much coffee. But it would be foolish. Foolish for me and foolish for the people who have those gifts, who are better at those gifts better at those details than I am. This is how the body works, okay? You guys gotta just be excited about who Jesus has made you to be. Do you know that? You're not an accident. You're not here by some formality or chance. God saw you, this is so cool to me, God saw creation before time began, the Trinity, and God said, let us make man in our image. That means they were conversing about it. And they saw Adam and Eve and all their kids, which is you. And they still, in light of that decision, decided to go ahead and punch it through. And they said, yeah, I like that. I like that gal. I like that guy. Man, that guy's a mess. Jesus, you gonna die for him too? Jesus said, yeah, I got it. Okay, good. They didn't really say that, but they, they thought about you because God knows all things. And he said, yep, and I'm gonna equip them I'm gonna give them different gifts, different sensitivities, different abilities than the people around them. This is so exciting to me, to look at my family, my wife, and all the gifts that she has, my three children, who God's gonna make them to be, who you guys are. You want an abundant life? You want a full life? Go look in the mirror of God's word. Say, God, who am I? Who am I? you let me be alive in 2013? Whoa. In some cultures, they save the best for last. <laughs> I don't know. Lord, you saved me? I'm, I'm here? I'm one of, I get a chance to run the race? And let the Lord sing over you, like it says in Zephaniah. Let the Lord be excited over you, and you believe it that even in all of your quirkiness, all of your funkiness, all of your stuff, that Jesus in you changes everything. And he wants to use you to change other people. Paul looked like Danny DeVito. Okay, he was, he was ugly, he was bow-legged, short, overweight, with a crooked nose. That's what history tells us. That's awesome. God chose him to change the world. Okay, you look at the mirror in your vanity in your bathroom, you might get a different answer than the mirror of God's word about who you are, okay? Look in the word, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're called, you're set apart, you're equipped. You're empowered, you're anointed, you're protected, you're forgiven. You're set apart, you're sealed. You've got a label on you. The enemy's afraid of you. You've got the words of eternal life. You've got the peace that passes understanding. You're not affected by the cultures around us and the economy and the government. It doesn't have anything to do with you. 
This kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It's other. That's good stuff. That's good news. This isn't just a game. This isn't just your favorite sports team, hopefully going to the Super Bowl next year. Wouldn't that be cool? Who cares? This is reality. This is life and eternal life and death. And you're on the winning team. It's a good thing. Let that change the way you breathe and live and move and think and receive grace and forgiveness again. Can you imagine being next up like this? You're looking at the person next to you and you're looking at the person behind you and he's running at you full speed with that baton. I mean, full speed, foam coming out of his mouth, muscles flying, cameras rolling. The world watching Olympics 2016, and you're thinking, oh great, I have to start running, I have to get a running start, and then reach back <laughs> and grab this baton and then give it my all. And then when you're done with your leg, you're seeing the guy in front of you, and he's looking at you, same thing. <laughs> and, you're, and you see him, you're chasing him, and then he takes off running, and you gotta catch up with him. And he's not going slow. He's trying to make you go faster. He's like, dude, I'm, I'm just getting started. And you chase after him and you give him the baton and he grabs it and it's beautiful. It's awesome. Be a disciple today. If you're already a believer and you're like, man, what have I been doing? That's, just grow up and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something for the Lord. I'm gonna be a disciple. I'm gonna be a deacon. Doesn't mean you come brew coffee or fill communion cups or any of that. It means you love people. You serve people's hearts. You, you serve the, the physical stuff too, whatever. But it's such a joy. Jesus died for the church. I'm gonna ask Paul to come on up. We're gonna sing now to our Savior, to the King. I'm telling you what, friends. Jesus said there would be those who grow That is, they're believers. But there's no fruit in their life. There will be those who hear, who receive, and I believe God's grace is so deep that they even, they're saved. But they get choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Now, most of you in here are like, oh, glad I'm not rich. It doesn't matter how much you make or how much you don't make. You can be distracted by either. Distracted. Not attracted. Distracted. That is, you're off track from the Lord, his economy, and his kingdom. We're going to take communion. They're bringing it out right now. It's an opportunity for you to say, Lord, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Oh, my gosh. Lord, it's all about you, isn't it? It's not about me. Praise God. Start there. Start there. And worship and say, Lord, and because it's not about me and it is about you and you're victorious and you're the one, help me. Help me to not be so distracted. You've heard it said, pay attention. We're almost done. If Satan can't make you bad, he will just make you busy. Busy in your mind, busy in your activities, busy with your phone. This last week, I've just been pondering my own life and where, where my heart is, where my energy is. And it's so easy to just turn back to the Lord. It's so easy. 
just to turn back. You still got to do your responsibilities. You still have to update your Facebook. I understand. I get it. But put your heart and your mind on Jesus. When you're driving, I do a lot of driving in, in my other jobs. A lot of driving. And in that, I can either redeem that time and think about the Lord and His glory and His beauty and what He's done and what He's doing. Or I can just freak out and think about me, my stuff. Man, just be preoccupied with Jesus. That's it. I guarantee you, the world, the, the average person is bombarded with 15,000 advertisements per day. That's an old statistic. Technology has ramped that up. 15,000 times per day, you're asked to consider something. Think about this ad. Think about that status. Think about this event. Think here. Invest here. Go there. 15,000. Do you think it's going to be easy to take every thought captive to the Lord? The Bible says that the weapons of warfare from heaven are given for just that purpose. The weapons of warfare? Heavenly weapons, they're not carnal. That is, they're not made by man. But they're made by God. And those weapons, if you, it just to me, my mind gets, starts getting crazy. God made weapons of war from heaven? That's got to be cool. What is it for? He says it's for taking your thoughts captive. What? It's that bad, huh? God says, yeah, it's that bad. You're going to need my help. But you can do it. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you for what's coming. Lord, some of us right now are in the lineup looking back at the baton racer coming toward us. We, we don't have a baton. We're just not there yet. We're getting excited. We don't want to drop the baton. We don't want to run slow. We don't want to go out of bounds. We want to catch that baton. We want to run. We want to run hard. We want to be those who pass it off well to the people around us, who invest in those, Lord, around us, who look to those in front of us. And so, Jesus, we need you. This is not a game. This is not just a formality. We didn't come to church here if you're visiting or whatever. You didn't come here on accident. You came here on divine purpose. So, Holy Spirit, we need divine power. We can't do these things without you. We will run as far as our cars are parked and we will fail. We will forget. So Jesus Christ, I pray now that you would anoint us and cover us for your glory. We are your bride. We are needy. We want to be a good bride, presenting ourselves to you. If you're here this morning, eyes closed, standing with me, and you want to become either a believer or a disciple or even maybe a, a deacon you want to serve you want to discipline yourself you want to have a plan or maybe today you want to just decide this i believe it's that simple i'm just gonna i don't have much but i do know that that's true would you just raise your hand right now and just keep it up my eyes closed i don't see but would you just raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, I need power to be a better believer. I need power to be a better disciple. I need power, Lord. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to blow it. I don't want to live life deceived. So Lord Jesus, I'm holding up my hand. Make me a deacon. Make me an elder. Make me a disciple. Make me a believer. Lord, my hand is up too because I need help. 
Lord, I, I believe I'm, I'm committed to those positions. But I also know, Lord, I need more. I need more power. I need more spirit. I need more help, Lord, for your glory, that we might be that bride that is serving, that is attentive to, that is in love with the groom. So we raise our hands, Lord. We ask that you would do a mighty work in Jesus' name. Bless us as we come to the communion table. May it be celebratory. May there be decisions. May there be communion and worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The tables are open for communion. I will be over here praying for people if you need prayer this morning.